So here are the nominees for Best Picture. And the Academy Award. For Best Picture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to And the Oscar Goes To, a podcast about Best Picture nominees. Uh, this is a new mini series that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is going to be looking at the films nominated for Best Picture in 2017. So these are films made in 2016. Uh, I'm joined as ever by my faithful co-host. Hello. He packed his bags last night pre-flight. It's Joel Abraham. Packed my bags last night pre-flight. We've been watching Rocketman trailers. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. But it's coming soon, isn't yeah, it? it is. I'm like slightly optimistic. It looks like another music biopic, really. Mm. Like I heard. Obviously, we hope it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Whoa. Better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Probably not going to be as good as Walk the Line. Somewhere in between. That's the spectrum of Somewhere in between those two. It'll be good. That'll be fine. Spinal Tap. Is that a music biopic? Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we're kicking off a new season. Yeah. uh, After last season was such a smash hit. Uh, They love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first film on the docket is... Axel Ridge. Axel Ridge, directed by Mel Gibson, tells the story of Desmond Doss, the first conscientious objector, the first <laughs> conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor. I think he's actually a conscientious collaborator. That's what he says, right? Yeah, yeah. In a, a line in the film. <laughs> There's a lot of lines in this film. <laughs> there is. It Most starts, of them are terrible, and then it goes on <laughs> for two hours and twenty minutes until it stops. Yeah, yeah. The first hour of this film. Mm-hmm. Is pre Haxel Ridge. Yeah. It's his childhood. Slash. I actually paused the film to see how long it was, and it is an hour. It's like, it's exactly 57, it's like 57 minutes. Like an hour before you before see, before you see anyone. The first hour of this film is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's off you, the bat. How did you feel about the second hour? The second hour. And then the final 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the second hour and 20 minutes is passable, is it? Like, I can see why people would find that yeah. enjoyable. The first hour is so garbage yeah i was watching this with uh my partner and she said like we'd seen this together a while mm. ago uh she was quite but, excited to watch it wasn't she yeah she really liked it the first time right. and then we were about 40 minutes in and i was like what what is it <laughs> that makes you say this is the film you like and then she said i think what happened was i forgot this bit was in the film <laughs> she's like as far as i'm concerned this is an hour-long film and it just all takes place actually rich. yeah which is fine now, that bit is and she likes kind of like that kind of like viscera and like intense kind of war film. So yeah. I could see that if that's your jam. He's got viscera. Yeah. Um, in space. But no, she did not like it this time around. And she said, I can't believe, I don't know why I ever thought that was good. But I can see getting to the end of this film and forget that the first hour happened. Yeah. Because nothing. What, but I have quite a lot of issues with the second hour. As yeah, well. I don't love the second hour. But the second hour is at least like. It's a well-constructed mm-hmm. film doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't have any point of view. No, but I mean, Mel Gibson can shoot engaging battle scenes. Yeah, he gets old after a while. It really does. Like, yeah, that's kind of one of my big problems Mm. with it. How many shots of like human awful do you really need to see until you go like, yeah, no, we know that it's not nice. There's like three kinds of deaths. There's the people who get shot Mm -hmm. and blood goes everywhere. People who get blown up and their limbs go everywhere, and then just people set on fire. Yeah, and then you just watch them as they like the it's whole like a trio again and again. Yeah, that's what's happening when they first arrive on the ha- on the ridge and then they're yeah. walking 
and you just it just like you'll be following the characters you know as they when they the first time they go over yeah onto the top and then they're sort of creeping through the fog and then the camera will just pan down and just sort of zoom in on just like some poor soul has been cut in half and you can see it coming out the bottom and then it goes back up to the characters again and then they will and then it just goes down and then it's just like a dude's face being eaten by rats Mm. and you're like it just does that over and over again. You sort of think, yeah, yeah. We've got it. Yeah, we've got it. It's not great. Like, I, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things where you can't mess with, You can't be all in for watching what is a realistic portrayal of war if you're not willing to deal with the fact that you're going to have to, like, look at some horrific shit. Yes. But it gets to a point when it is le- it's not to highlight a point. It's not to create a mood. It feels just like violence fetishization. It's just like bathing in, like... World War Two is yeah. it once it seems to enjoy the violence a lot, which yeah. is my main issue. So, right, let's let's look at the story of this film because because it does start. It starts on Hacksaw Ridge. The first scene is a battle in on Hacksaw Ridge. Yes, just it should be like just lets you know don't worry, we're going to get to this at some point. At some point, we're going to get to this. Just forget the next hour. Mm-hmm. Just wait for this stuff that's going to come back. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on in that first scene. It's just. Soldiers dying is essentially what's happening. Yeah, I think it's kind of like table setting, isn't it? Like, this is what it's going to be. And uh, I don't know if it's maybe supposed to provide a contrast to the whole Virginia sex- section. Yeah. This first hour is, so, Desmond Doss? Yeah. Uh, growing up uh, to be a pacifist, Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah, basically. He hits his brother with a brick and then he's like, oh no. Oh, is he, I thought his brother hit him with a brick. No, he hits his brother, right? Think, okay. Right, and then because because then he goes to the poster, like the the God poster, and then he said, like he's looking at the commandment says, "Thou shalt not kill." And he's like, "I could have killed him." And I think the idea is like he that he's realised that you there's no violence, no like there's no level of violence that's acceptable because it all leads to death. I don't know. Mm. I think it's supposed to be like a learning moment. Which you didn't you didn't get the idea behind this film. I'm just trying to articulate. Mm. what Mel Gibson is trying to say mm-hmm. which is nothing I think what he's trying to say is pacifism for pussies <laughs> it spends an hour reveling in this guy's pacifism mm-hmm. and then spends an hour reveling in violence I don't under- yeah. like so I mean there is also a big racist elephant in the room isn't there uh, <laughs> is it called Mel Gibson <laughs> yeah yeah. it's a big holocaust denying <laughs> anti-semitic elephant I was kind of hoping we just not discuss that i'm not sure if you really can can you like this is literally his he didn't direct a film for 10 years because of everything and now he's in daddy's home too yeah i mean daddy is home <laughs> daddy's home that's again. i think what yeah. he said on the red carpet for Haxwell ridge <laughs> <laughs> daddy's back <laughs> please go um no so i kind of want to just let's just talk a little bit about how this film gets made because mm. it is kind of interesting like so obviously the, the the story itself, Desmond Doss, he's a conscientious objector, or as you say, as he says in the film, conscientious collaborator. He wants to serve, uh, but he refuses to touch a gun. So, um, all accounts, he's a genuinely fantastic person, like an, yeah, and just like a real war hero, yeah. and doesn't really want his own. He don't want to sing his own praises. Yeah. Um, so he saved around like, approximate seventy five people. Yeah. Uh, he did actually have two experiences in battle right prior to this and he received like the bronze medal he received like a bronze medal for bravery for both of them okay and then this one um the film makes it look as though it's done over like a a couple of nights isn't it yeah but i think he was awarded the medal of honor for his bravery over 
uh, about three weeks period right, in, okay. during the Battle of Okinawa. Obviously, they just kind of condense all that down for the sake of cinematic shorthand, I guess. And it ends with a Japanese guy stabbing himself. A Japanese guy who we've never met. Oh, yeah. Well, no, stabbing we'll, himself. Yeah, we'll get to the Japanese Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so, basically, straight out of the what you can kind of understand why people would want to make this a film. Mm. It is just, the story is it, compelling. It, yeah, I mean, he is just a compelling person. And it's yeah. just an interesting thing that happened. So, um, Hal B. Wallace, who is the producer of Casablanca. Right. Uh, obviously, Casablanca being a 1942 film. Yeah. And he did, he, he was a producer behind like the original True Grit in 1969, stuff like that. So he's quite like a f- big, mm. big guy in the industry, in the history of Hollywood. He is the first person that tries to acquire life rights, like straight out of the war. Basically. So life rights is when you just buy the, I think effectively you, someone's story. Yeah, I think. And then you maintain the rights to be able to adapt that into a film or whatever, you know? I, I guess that's what it is if it's bi- a biopic. Because usually I suppose you'd buy the rights to a property, right? Like a book or something. Yeah. If you're buying, you have to obviously pay the person to make a documentary about it, uh, to make a biopic about them. So so you have... Unless you're Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. We won't get into pain again. Um, <laughs> so People like it, Joel. They People do. People fucking like it. Uh so effectively i own a story that is my life yeah and i imagine probably people are going to be clamoring yeah Mm. when it comes to it uh so and you can see why you can see why if you hear about this person even during the war you're like well that's got that's got to be one of them moving pictures Mm. i mean moving pictures were big (laughs) yes on the big screen yeah they were the next big thing but anyway he says no basically yeah i think another producer at some point tries again in the he interim. seems like the kind of person you wouldn't really want to film no. made about him. No, I think he was worried that it would be sensationalist and that kind of stuff. And like, he didn't want that. Uh, luckily, what we got is really tempered. And, toned down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they don't make him out as though he's actually the reincarnation of Jesus Christ at all, <laughs> which is really good. Um, and then, so, and then comes like, it gets to like 2000, mm. right? So Dave, uh, Desmond Doss died in like 2006. So he's right at the end of his life at this point. He'd recorded a... Um, uh, documentary before that, right? Yeah. So a few years earlier, I think someone had made a doc- he'd like a given somebody thing. the right to make a documentary about it. It's called the Conscientious Objector. I've never seen it. You see parts um, of it at the end of the film. Yeah, I assume that's where that's from. Yeah. Um, but then anyway, after that, some other people, another producer, uh, David Permut, gets the rights and kind of commissions a script, and everything kind of looks like it's going ahead. This is around the early two thousands, two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah. Commissions a script and everything. Um, and involves a guy called Bill Mechanic who founded Pandemonium Films, which is one of the production companies on this. Right. And uh, Gibson is their first choice, basically. Uh, I think they liked what he did with Braveheart. Mm-hmm. And I believe they first talked to Mel Gibson about 2004 or five, so just after he's done Passion of the Christ. Before the thought, Apocalypto? Yeah, Apocalypto is 2006. Right. So, and I think their reasoning is like, hey, we've got a story about a um about jesus christ (laughs) no so we've got a story about like a hero who who's like it's kind of clearly a grounded in faith yeah that sort of thing um and it needs to be epic and violent and all that sort of stuff so brave heart and passion of the christ mel gibson's your guy i mean you look at that you sort of think and i think um bill mechanic felt as though What's the guy's name in uh, Braveheart? William Wallace. William Wallace. Yeah, yeah they kind. He kind of felt as though, while obviously William Wallace was a much more violent individual, and Desmond Doss was, you know, completely un- yeah. non-violent. He did see a parallel between what they were doing, what they believed in, and what they were kind of like. Right. 
I don't know if I get that, but no, but that was what he he kind of felt okay. that they were similar, at least I suppose maybe in a cinematic form, they're kind of a similar driving force, I guess. Anyway, he could he sees Gibson as the the right choice, but uh, Mel Gibson passes, and then what happens is the film like languishes for ages in limbo because the rights get sold to Walden Media, which is like a faith based production house, right? Um. And then the the guy that runs World of Media wants to make a PG thirteen film. This wasn't PG thirteen. <laughs> no, actually, no. I think I think it just got pushed up into a uh, into a fifteen. A forty. Um, is fifteen? No, I think it's an eighteen. It's fifteen. It is a fifteen. Yeah. Over here, it, was a, it must have been rated in the UK um, at the very least, right? I've no idea. I don't know what. They I don't really know how the ratings work in the. I know there's M and then R as the top one. Right? Yeah. Uh, so. He wants to make a PG film, but obviously the producers are like, no. Yeah. <laughs> because it's obviously what it's about. Like, we can't really. It's like one of the most violent battles of mm. World War II. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So the film just sits in limbo for like a decade or something. Eventually, uh, this film mechanic guy buys back the rights in 2014. And that's the same year Gibson comes on board. They asked him again in 2010 and he passed again, but finally yeah. he comes on board. Uh, and then that's kind of like how you know, the film just got, it's come together then and they actually go, but so it's been the same rights holders had the film for 16 years before this film was able to come out. They really wanted to get it made. They bring in that Andrew Garfield and they, it's all filmed in Australia. Yeah. There's a lot of Australian actors. In there. Yes. So the reason there's so many Australian actors is because they wanted government subsidies. Ah. So the budget they had for this film was 40 million, which obviously isn't it's not that much. Not yeah. huge. I mean, so Braveheart was 70. Like, but Andrew Garfield must couldn't have been that expensive at the time. No. Um, but they basically said that without the subsidies from the Australian government, they probably wouldn't have been able to afford to make it. Yeah. And in order to qualify for government subsidies, it has to qualify as an Australian film. So obviously having Mel Gibson helps, despite him being American born, he moved to Australia when he was about 12. Yeah. So I think he has citizenship. So that's why they also bring in a bunch of Australian actors and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then obviously Vince Vaughn. Hugo Weaving. And Hugo. I think Hugo. Is Hugo Weaving Australian? I don't know. Actually. I think he is. Uh, English. Is it, or is it uh, he was born in Nigeria to English parents. Okay. Um, he is doing some things in this film. Yeah. He really is. Um, so they shoot for two months, all of it in Australia. Here's here's a nice little point mm. that you may enjoy, especially as a fan of the film. Yeah. Um, you'll be pleased to know that in order to make this film, they, uh, they deforested 500 hectares of land. <laughs> Oh, good. Why? <laughs> which did... 500 hectares? Which, yeah. Which did incite the ire of uh, some environmentalists. Mm, you can you can see what their gripe was. I think there was like some condition that they had to like replant or something after, like once they were done, like part of the land. But you're like... The land doesn't... Forest doesn't just grow back as you replant the trees. No. But like this film takes place on the ridge, which is what, like, I don't know. I don't know what a hectare is, but... Two hectares? Yeah, I'm just I don't plucking that number. Five hundred. Yeah, I, so I don't know if they actually were able to do it all, um, because some, because environmentalists put up a right. fight. Yeah, um, but I think they did like half of it or something, and then Mel Gibson wasn't happy about it because it meant that it, it uh, made a lot of the shots more difficult because they needed like a certain area to do like three hundred and sixty degrees of rotation with the camera and stuff, and they couldn't. They could, I think, they max managed to get to about two seventy, which meant that they had to like film certain things things a certain way and then put it all together in editing. fucking trees yeah um and obviously they had to like because they filmed it in australia they filmed it on a dairy farm and then they had to 
I do a bunch of clever things to hide like eucalyptus trees in the background and stuff. So obviously make it look like it was Okinawa. But anyway, yeah. drop bears. 500 hectares of deforestation. But at least we got Haxel Ridge out of it. Yeah, that's a genuine tragedy that yeah. any tree died. We'll always have Haxel Ridge. For this uh, fucking film. <laughs> you're going off. I, I do not like this film ticking, one bit. You're ticking time. I'm just trying to work production at the moment just so that we can <laughs> delay the the inevitable explosion. Um, but that, I mean, that's pretty much, unfortunately, I've actually got to the end of, end of all that. <laughs> that's done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now, now we talk about... Now you can... Now the film off. So it starts with him having he has a brother. Uh and he, he fights with his brother. Mm-hmm. The first hour is the like cheesiest. Oh, it is it's, it's so cheesy. Most poorly written. It's hour really of apple pie cinema, isn't yeah. it? Like really just it, it's so straightforward. And everyone says the most obvious line they could say at that moment. I mean, I would say that um Mel Gibson isn't the subtlest filmmaker in the world mm. uh have you seen passion of the christ <laughs> i actually haven't seen no, passion no there have i've seen bits of passion of the christ and subtlety is not what they're yeah going. so i think the only other mel gibson film i've seen is braveheart and i saw that a long time ago same i remember liking braveheart yeah i have a scottish mother so i was yeah i remember yeah, like it was braveheart. played every night in my house um but i mean it's i think i saw it at such a time that it was very easy for me to feel like um this is a big, important film. Yeah. You know, like I remember being a kid and just thinking The Last Samurai was fucking mint because it was like grand it's and epic. And, yeah. yeah. It was like grand and epic and set in another country and it was historical. Mm. So it kind of felt like a big adult important film. And when I was however old I was, yeah, like eight years old or something, I thought that that meant that it just had to be powerful and amazing because I was watching things that maybe people, a lot of people my age... And there's a man who shouts freedom. ...weren't watching. Yeah. Like, it does feel like a big, important film. So Yeah, I mean, I I imagine, I, from my understanding, Braveheart's pretty well received. Yeah. I just can't say with any, like, I can't remember it very well. And I think, at the time, I would have thought it was great. But I don't even know if I really would have got why it was good yeah. or bad, yeah. either way. Um, so I've seen Apocalypto. His Scottish accent's not good, though. I don't remember that. No, his, his Scottish accent's bad in oh, Braveheart. Really? Yeah. Apocalypto is a really good film, I think. That's, I've, so if my understanding is that's kind of generally considered his best work. Yeah. It's a strange film. It's mm-hmm. not... Every expectation I had of Apocalypto was not what it turned out to be. Um, what did you expect it to be? I expected it to be like... Uh, it's Native Americans. Yeah. And sort of fighting against white invaders, effectively. Right. This is not, it is not that. Okay. So it's Mayans, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I have no idea about any Central American history I am entirely oblivious to. Yeah, I think I think it's Mayans, but I mean... Uh, it's essentially about uh, some people who live in the forest being captured by some uh, religious fanatics. Right, okay. Uh, and then this guy's journey back to his wife to save And they take a stab in the dark because so it's quite violent. There's some violence. Mm. It's nowhere near Haxel Ridge. Okay. It's nowhere near. The, yeah. It's not nearly as visceral. Yeah. There are... He doesn't... I mean, he's, Mel Gibson, he, he doesn't hold any bars. If something is going to look like disgusting, mm-hmm. he's going to make it look disgusting. Yeah. Which I actually don't mind that. No, I don't mind that. But like I say, I think that there is a point when that becomes uh, gratuitous. It's not tiresome in um, in Apocalypse. And I think he maybe just pushes the gratuity of it just a little bit too much. It feels like it's like really trying to 
gross you out trying too hard. And I just feel like almost everything, at least in Hacksaw Ridge, everything's trying yeah. too hard to be what it is. Yeah, very true. Um, like, but it, it seems like he's just watched the landing scene from Saving Private Ryan. It's like, I'm going to so, beat that. I think we're going to have to talk about Gibson a little bit. Yeah. Because I can't, I do feel as though it's very difficult for me to separate what I'm probably about to say a lot of in terms of Hacksaw Ridge yeah. from my view of who Mel Gibson is. Which is and why so I, I think thought it's my, probably worth putting that up front because that's why I thought Apocalypto was going to be it is going, White Invaders versus Native. Yeah, Americans. like it is obviously going to color your yes. opinion. So let's go. In, let's go back before the cataclysm. You know, in the the cataclysm, <laughs> right? Mel Gibson was huge. Yeah, yeah, like lethal weapons. Was, yeah, I mean, so he's Mad Max. Yeah, initially, he is voted he's the first ever people's sexiest man alive oh really he was like the inaugural wow. sexy man so they started an award just in 1989 to, or something they have when, to recognize like, Mel Gibson how sexy is. and then he obviously he's in lethal weapon he gets to the point when he is in the rarefied company of what you'd say like Cruz, jim carrey you know like people yeah. that, he was getting 20 million dollars a film at one point yeah uh he was also the, that kind of guy that could make $20 million and star in a film that would go on to make over a hundred. Yeah. And he could direct a film that would go on to make over a hundred. So when was Braveheart? 98? Uh, yeah, maybe something like that. And then 2004, maybe for Passion of the Christ yeah, and then so. six for Apocalypse. So all big hits. Yeah. Like all big, big hits. 95 Braveheart. So he's kind of doing everything, you know, he's like just huge, huge presence yeah. in Hollywood. And by all accounts, he is uh, very charming. Mm. And uh, so I was reading a bit more about all this stuff. I did not. Pointedly did not read anything about this stuff. It seems as though people, like so many people really like him. And it's like, there's just this really, he clearly is just a person that struggles with some dark shit. Like he has been on and off the wagon in terms of alcoholism a lot. Um, but a lot of people, there's still a lot of people that work with him who are Jewish and would say that he, you know, that take anti-Semitism very seriously and do not feel as though he is genuinely anti-Semitic. Right. Okay. Um, and there's all this stuff, but it's like, how, how can you, he is, he is, isn't he? I honestly, I assume so. I, so the, I haven't looked the, into the two major said. scandals Yeah. is he gets pulled over. He's just finished filming apocalypto i think right literally like coming off the end of the shoot there so he's in mexico at the time which yeah. i think is where they shot yes yeah. shot it um and crew of that film have said that they could they noticed pretty much he fell off the wagon during the film, and the oh, film. Really? maybe it was a way to deal with the stress of dealing with because he was using a lot of non-actors who were also having to speak like mayan but they weren't doing it very well so it's like really stressful he falls off the wagon and people you know there's like stories from the crew saying you know, that clearly wasn't water. He was drinking on set kind yeah. of thing, you know? So he is pulled over, going like 80 miles an hour in a 45, uh, over the legal limit. Right. He is uh, obviously just like all over the place. And then he starts saying some stuff. He shouldn't do that, no. No. He, uh, the famous quote being uh, that Jews are responsible for all the wars in his, for all the wars in the world or something. Mm. Mm. factually incorrect yeah so he's not great there and then a little bit later a bunch of tapes leak of him talking to his what is now his ex-wife 
um, using just awful, awful language, racial slurs, right. like misogynistic language, threatening to beat her. He gets a lawsuit filed against him by um, a, I don't know if, I think maybe like a partner of his after his wife for breaking her jaw. Jesus. So you kind of got this weird thing of this guy who is very charming and everybody that works with him seems to say as though he's really nice and like he's described as this generous and kind of like thoughtful man. And then this kind of like dark side mm. to this person in their private life. But there's just like a bunch of other shit that people just don't, that just seem to be happy just to ignore. Like, so um, Winona Ryder yeah. tells a sto- told a story at some point about them being at a, an event and after fi- like finding out that she, so, someone, someone being, oh, someone there was gay. And then he made like a really horrible gay joke to them. And then when somebody else said something about being Jewish, he, uh, um, the phrase oven dodgers, apparently. So he is a distinctly problematic individual. I think problematic is. Putting it lightly. Yeah. He sounds like, maybe he's got some demons and. Yeah. uh, We can feel sympathy for that, but. Yes. Anyone that has, anyone that's been around, you know, bad drunks or yes. people that struggle with alcohol or, or any kind of addiction or anything like that. It it can obviously bring out another person. And like, this is almost the impression that I get from reading around is yeah. there's like, it's two people, you know, you've literally got the kind of the charming, nice guy who gets on in Hollywood and everybody likes him and he's very successful. And yeah. he is in a lot of people's eyes, very talented. I think he's a pretty charismatic movie star. I don't really... I, wouldn't, I don't necessarily know that I'd say he's a talented director so much as he's a, just a very commercially viable director. I, I would genuinely say, watching Apocalypto, I would say that is... He shows signs of being a good director. That's, that's what I don't understand, watching Apocalypto and then watching this, is mm. in Apocalypto, he's making some choices. Like, he's not... I mean, in Haxel Ridge, he's making some choices. But he doesn't... He, in Haxel Ridge, he doesn't really make... He just goes for the most obvious line, the most obvious yeah. way to shoot this. Like, I think he shoots the battle scenes very well. Mm. But in Apocalypto, he it is a well-shot, well-directed yeah. film. Yeah. And Hagsaw Ridge is just something like, I don't know, it's like uh, the paper, little paperclip comes up and says, you are making a war movie. Yeah. This is what it should look yeah. like. Yeah. You're making a Mel Gibson war movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Type in the character names and the plot and we'll go on from there. But then there's like, there also seems to be like a weird sentiment around this whole situation of obviously he's come back and people sort yeah. of feeling as though it's good to have him back because he's a talent and, um, feeling like he deserves a second chance and stuff like that and i'm like well how many second chances really because like you had the whole anti-semitism thing and then mm. you had the whole racial misogynistic debacle years later so i mean Are we, is, debacle is what we're leaving that? is that not a second chance or you know mm. like and then there's this other thing which you see a lot with these kind of white dudes that have been torn down and then just allowed back to, to come back after a bit of a time yeah. out, which is oh but he's good okay yeah, he's not, he's not bad, but I wouldn't say he's the greatest director on the planet. I wouldn't say he's, you know, we, we'll be fine without him. Oh, I think we'll cope. And we'll cope without Axel Rich. And there's I think plenty we're all fine of there. other people out there that are good, yeah. that haven't blamed Jews for causing all of the, war, like, the wars in the world, you know? Yeah. So why are we also, the, the fact of the matter is, it's because he makes money. Like, that is the bottom line, isn't it? You know, like, if you can bring yeah, him in, he'll make money. Yeah. But, uh, well, Hollywood has a history of, Looking the other way mm-hmm. in a lot of situations. Where it's commercially viable. Exactly. Uh, and 
this is uh, just another example of that. And I think we can both agree that maybe you should just stop. And just yeah, I was okay with them being cancelled. Yeah. Um, I was fine with that. I, I feel as though we could have moved on. Like, I'm not necessarily saying that he should never be able to work again ever. Like, if he wants to be just in a, in films every now and again, like, I get that that's his trade, but I don't necessarily think he needs to be given these big budgets, the star treatment, huge roles. Like, he also has more than enough money to never work again. He made $600 million off of uh, The Passion of the Christ or something. Or Braveheart. million? Yeah, some, one of them, he ended up keeping all of the rights for it, right? So all of the profits went to him. Fuck. So he basically made $600 million off it. So, like, it's not like he needs to work. Mm. We don't need to see him. Um, and you know, people talk about second chances. I, I really, I don't think you should necessarily see him as a lost cause as a person. I, I'd hope to think that he's learned from his mistakes, but also you, you had your chance at being the, one of the biggest movie stars on the planet and yeah. you used it for just to say horrible, horrible things in public. Like just fuck off now. Like just leave, leave. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just stop. And also the, I don't want to be, this isn't how we should judge whether he should be in uh, Hollywood still, I guess. But this film is shit. And <laughs> should, should. I can't believe how well received this film was. No, I, I watched it without looking at any reviews, expected to go on and see it being selected. Obviously, it was nominated for an Oscar, so there were some people who enjoyed it. But, you know, so it was Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, so it was Green Book. That's not... Uh, Green Book 1. It did. So did Crash. It <laughs> also true. Why we did this podcast? I have such disdain for an <laughs> But people love this film. People really loved it. Yeah, people think it's an incredibly well shot. People seem to ignore the when they talk about this film. People talk about they just talk about the visceral, yeah. like intense battle scenes. The battle, which scenes. okay, they're visceral and they're intense, but they're not any better than what you'd get in Saving Private Ryan or mm. something like that. Like it's not that new, you know. It's he's not really yes. bucking any trends and going like, oh, we've never experienced the intensity of war in this fashion. Yes, uh, war films as a maybe not as a rule, but. On the whole, I'm not usually that fond of. There's right. not many that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they they can end up being very formulaic quite easily. Yeah, and this definitely does that. Yeah, it does. Uh, Dunkirk, I'm a big fan of because mm-hmm. I think that bucks the trend in some ways. Uh, I like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, I, I think Saving Private it. Ryan's okay. I have some similar issues Saving Private Ryan as I have with this film, but not anywhere near to the same extent. Yeah. Um, I, I I think occasionally it can get a bit gratuitous, but it kind the that's kind of where it stops, which I think is, but it is also engaging and immersive, um, which yeah, Hacksaw Ridge also has that, but Hacksaw Ridge has some uh, some other shit that, is, mm. that it seems to be getting at, which we can maybe touch on in a sec. Uh, Warfare, I like Apocalypse Now. I'm not saying Apocalypse uh, Now, and I like Full I like, Metal Jacket. I like Platoon. Yeah, Platoon's pretty good. I like Full Metal Jacket. Platoon is, really is by someone In who... In fact, Vietnam. Actually, Vietnam films seem to be true. quite a good crop. Platoon is a film directed by someone who disagreed with the Vietnam War. Yeah. And it is very obvious in Platoon. So, yes. like, th- this film, Hacksaw Ridge, t- seems to ce- celebrate the war almost. I don't quite... This is my main issue with the film, I guess, is that I don't know what he's trying to get at. No, at I, mean, I mean, this is why I say that I think he's trying to say pacifism for pussies because mm. he he like he shoots all of the gore and the viscera with just such just like a loving eye mm. and it seems like he just thinks it's the fucking coolest shit in the world like yeah. he just he's like yeah okay this guy's a hero and he didn't touch a gun or anything but how sick are headshots yeah. you know it's it's just head, this dude's brains are all over headshots the place headshots are mint you yeah. know they're so you good you can see that guy's intestines yeah um 
which is kind of a bit of an issue for me, I think, to like glorify violence in a film that is ostensibly about pacifism. Yeah. Because uh, so, he goes to, to the first half, so he hits his brother with a brick, uh, becomes a pacifist. You don't see anything. He's an adult at that point. You see him. No, later on, you see that at some point he pointed a gun at his dad and yeah. felt as though he was emotionally ready to kill him. Yes. And then that's what his point is. Like He's like, I have almost, I think his point is almost that he has kind of been through the emotional journey of killing somebody. Because he's, he's he would like someone says, oh, you didn't kill him. And he says, in my, my heart, heart, I did. I did. Yeah. Which is, I mean, fine. It's a good line, I think. Yeah, there's not that many of them in this film. No. That is one that's all right. Yeah. Uh, he meets uh, a woman. Yeah. Uh, who he marries. Dorothy. Dor- her name? I want to say Dorothy Shutter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, their romance is is there. It's happening. Yeah, it's fine. I actually kind of like her performance. I think she's all right. So she she's mostly just there to like. She was desperate to be in this film. Uh, okay. Teresa Palmer. She uh, like she sent auditions by phone and Skype. She didn't hear anything for months on on end, and then eventually got cast as. Yeah, Mel Gibson just skyped her and said, "You're playing this person." Mm-hmm. She doesn't know who it was, but um, she yeah, she's good. I think the reason oh, a no, lot no. of people maybe don't talk about this start the you know, when they discuss this film, it's because it feels like it, fucking nothing happened. It's like, so forgettable. There's it's, nothing. Yeah. It, but it's an hour long. You, like, it's almost half the movie, so you can't not acknowledge that it's there, but there's just so, so little to say about it. Like, but it, it tries to be a rom-com. Or really like it is like a heavy-handed. Yeah. It's so cheesy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like, he is just, the depiction of Desmond, like the way he, he fucking takes the extra two miles to walk through the woods and then he like stops and gazes at a bird feather and thinks about the love of his life. You know, it's like, Christ. It is, I mean, it really is like that laden, you know? It's that, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's laid just, on so thick. And everything he says is like the cutest thing. He just looks at her and goes, oh, you're so beautiful. I don't it, know what he's Andrew so Garfield is doing with his voice. But, smiley. Yeah. He's creepy as fuck as well when they start dating because yeah. like she just wants to be a person and he just just stares at her just stares right at her really intensely oh, she's watching a, a massive film, grin on his face and he's just grinning at her yeah. um he's doing a lot of face in this film mm. i think actually i do think andrew garfield's performance is quite good i think he's good uh, i think his accent is maybe a bit much yes but i can understand you know you're trying to do a virginia accent as he's also a, trying to do an impression as of an a boy from england like I, and, yeah I, I get that i get that that's difficult not everybody can do that so he's just coming off spider-man too uh yeah cool yeah, so he's obviously just cut. He's like, he's huge. He's hitting huge at that point. Everybody, oh, everybody wants loves Spider Man too. Of the Garth, you know? I sat through half of that film and just turned it off. That was just. The, Sp- the Amazing Spider Man's are. The, the first one is at least watchable. Yeah, but I think they're probably both worse than Spider Man 3. Yeah, Spider Man 3 isn't. But I think Spider Man 3 has some shit to like in it. Like, yeah, agreed. I mean, it's obviously insane. But it's kind of campy in like a really sort of fun, way, like a kind of fun and interesting yeah. way. You but also realize that Tobey Maguire is just bad actor. It mostly sucks. Yeah. Um, I like Andrew, Andrew Garfield more than I like Tobey Maguire. But my thing is like, if Spider-Man 3 didn't come after Spider-Man 2, would people hate it quite as much as they do? If it wasn't 1, 3, 2, you that know? was the order. Yeah. I mean, obviously it wouldn't make sense in that, but, but I just mean I can't remember a film of that quality, like Spider-Man 2 being, in my opinion, still the best film based... Oh, do you know Spider-Man 2? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. The best film based on a Marvel property uh, to date, probably. Blade like, Trinity? Oh, there is that, yeah. Fantastic Four, any any of the three. Yeah. 
You know the uh, the comic, whatever the comic imprint that did the original comic of Men in Black was later bought by Marvel. So I guess you could say Men in Black is the best, probably the best Marvel. Men film. in Black one is fantastic. Yeah, I mean it's basically perfect. Men in Black two has a talking pug as well. So. Um, I heard Men in Black three was good, but I never watched. Never it. Never seen that. Men in Black. There's a new the one. The second out. one's not good. Yeah, with Hemsworth. Yeah, and Tessa Thompson. Okay, so it's basically just Thor and Valkyrie, right? Yeah, I think he gets a hammer out at one point. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, I guess we're not actually here to talk about Spider-Man 2, are we? No, no. But I do think that because being the, that film's so good, and then going to see Spider-Man 3 and being like, what is this? You can see why they cancelled Spider-Man, like, see why that was the last Spider-Man But when film. you consider that Sam Raimi's directing it, I don't, I, like, I don't think it's actually that, uh, it's not that surprising that it is the way it is, like, I don't know much so about Sam Raimi. It's so campy and, but, anyway. Uh, so yeah, Garth was just coming off. Spider-Man was the and he does a good job here. I can see why he wanted to hit the part. Honestly, I think it's you can see, especially he found the guy very inspiring. I think he said something about you know being much more inspired by this real life superhero than he was doing by Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, wow. Um, he's more inspired by an actual war hero than a fictional guy who can. Yeah, climb and I walls. think I think what he's trying to say is that he's a really deep and uh, oh, right, know, deep yeah. individual. Right. Okay. Very cool. Mature. Great. Uh, who else in this film? Uh, Hugo Weaving. We can get on to him now. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look great. He's um, he's really going for it. Yeah. Again, not bad. I don't. I don't think he's bad. No, no. I he think looks he's a lot strange. Yeah. He. But this. But this film's first, a lot. This first half of the film, especially, is. He. I don't know. He doesn't seem. That. So we're supposed to get to the point that he is. I think. He was in World War One. Yeah, so I think there's. I don't know um, if they mention it at all. There's like a maybe. There's kind of undertones of PTSD. I'd say you know, like Under, yeah, he, he's struggling yeah. to adjust to. I think maybe life. He, he had some friends who died. I don't know if they mention it at all. Yeah, he doesn't uh, go to a graveyard I've, six times. I also think is it insinuated that he's at that graveyard to visit everyone? <laughs> I, think, I don't know. Because <laughs> there's so many graves. Yeah, he just there. goes to all of them. He just pours a little bit of brandy on each of them. <laughs> a bit of blood. Yeah. Cuts his hand open, bleeds on all of them. <laughs> uh, so he does not want his sons to fight in the war. No, he doesn't. So he's not. He clearly wasn't a pacifist. No, but I guess I, yeah. His I don't, brother I don't isn't. Think he's a pacifist. That like I mean I don't think he's a pacifist even after his experience in the war. I think his point is just that it's so horrific, and I think I think he feels let down because he's like we fought in that war, we won that war. What? Why are we fighting again? Yeah. Like, what did we go over there for if we're just doing this all again? Which, to be fair, I guess is kind of like a bit of a, you know, that is a take on the history of the thing. I but agree with him. World War II, I kind of see this two world wars as being kind of like one conflict that there's like a break in because I don't think really World War I fixed anything. World War I was a, uh, a lot of... It didn't have that, like, clear kind of let's go and fight the fucking evil dude just doing lots of shit. Yeah, exactly. Like World, World War, War II did. was just a lot of big powers, uh, big empires fighting each other for... And then you sort of get, you know, you come out domination. of the war into the roaring 20s and people sort of enjoy all the... everything that's going on, like, being affluent and everything. But yeah. really, it was kind of turning a blind eye to the fact that they didn't really get any... They didn't really solve anything... Well, no, no. World so, War I was literally just a, a... World War II was kind of always, always inevitably going to end up happening again. Yes, yeah. But I can understand that if you fought in that war and you went through all that to then basically feel very soon after. I mean, it's pretty mental that there's only been two world wars and for a lot of people they were 
in the space of a single lifetime. Yeah. And you could have potentially fought in both of them. Yeah. Like that is, that is a, it's a, just an um, insane thing to try and get your head around this yeah. idea of going to the war and then probably what feels like just um, almost immediately after there being another one. And you'd be like, wait, we just did this. Yeah. And we like, I saw all of my friends die and I've just been through hell on earth and we're doing it again. Like, so I kind of, I kind of get that that might be how you feel. I mean, he's really, really playing that. Mm. Oh, just another unsubtle performance. It fits in with the film, I guess. Yeah. Uh, his brother goes off. His brother one. goes off first, yeah. You, I kind happening. of expect to see him again. He's just gone. You don't mention him or mention his brother. Oh, yeah. No, he hasn't gone back. Just, that's just done. Done with. His brother went to war. And that's, I, kind of, I don't know if he was going to meet him out there or... I guess because it's a true story, there's only so much you can do. You, so much artistic narrative. Uh, artistic license you can have yeah but you expect a character like that who is fairly prominent in the first quarter of the film i guess mm -hmm. to be mentioned at some other point so then desmond doss ties a tourniquet around a dude's leg who gets caught under a car oh yeah and then um he loves doing that so much he's a big fan of veins yeah. And arteries. He likes doing that so much that he decides he's going to go to the war because that's where all the legs come off. Yeah. I think true. that's the thing. He's like, I want. where can I go to get me some more? I want to do more tourniquets. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and I guess it's either that or becoming a heroin addict, right? <laughs> There's the two, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah I mean, they are the, main, we've the all, two main uses of tourniquets. We've all made our choice on that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think history judges us correctly. Yeah, I'd say so. And let's just say neither of us. Medics in the war. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think we need to put any more counts on that. Oh, don't take heroin. <laughs> I'm going to put counts on that. You're just going to clear that up for yeah. everybody just in case. Uh, lost my place here. So, he his motivations for joining the war are that everyone else, he doesn't want to be a coward. He's not a coward. He can't stand by and let other people give their lives for something which. Uh, okay, so this thing, I think he fundamentally believes in the war effort. Right, yeah. but he's he, not a pacifist. Like he doesn't. No, I know. I mean, this is maybe one thing where you don't like. He's not a pacifist in that sense, is he? No. Like, he, because he's willing to apply his efforts to a conflict which is yes. predicated on violence. Yeah. But he's it's more of a personal principle within himself that he will not. And his his thought also being like, look, I I'm not saying that you can't you can win a war without killing i'm not saying that, yeah but all these people are doing the killing so like why do i need to also then do the you know, we've got enough people doing the killing yeah maybe if i focus my efforts elsewhere we could act, you know that might actually be helpful and i see what you say i also understand his uh squad mates being dubious of that fact that he's just, are they dubious about it yeah i think there's some they mentioned at some point that they're not a fan of him I they think. don't really think his beliefs are that important no uh so right, we're gonna basically get to the point that he's he's gone he's in boot camp and vince vaughn shows up vince vaughn shows up and what we have is and i think this scene's really amazing because i've never seen something like this before um so all the guys are there and they all like all of the soldiers kind of seem to have like a thing you know like oh, yeah you got the guys that play cards. You got the guys that throw knives at each other. You got the naked guy. You've got these really distinct personalities, very mm. like fully drawn characters, and they all feel so separate and individual, and just kind of outside the like 
I don't know where whoever is right. And they didn't all look exactly the same later no. on in the film, but they're all in. No, exactly. They're all fighting, yeah. And then, um, and then Vince Vaughn comes in, and whoa, what a presence! He's this drill. <laughs> <laughs> He's the drill sergeant. And the thing about this drill sergeant, and I think this is probably where Vince Vaughn was sort of thinking, like he wants to take what has been a a a, a profession that has been depicted in cinema prior you know no, it's, it's been, been pictures before yeah, and he sort I of think, thinks you yeah. know what what people never really seem to explore is that drill sergeants shout a lot yeah they're and they're really just angry and they're quite mean to yeah. their subjects so he gets them all to line up and then he goes down the line and he just sort of he gives them each he gives them all names oh nicknames funny nicknames funny nicknames uh that are both um deprecating mm. and contextual and <laughs> he shouts the nicknames into their face and i'm sort of thinking like i've never seen anything like this before i've never like i don't know what this is new yeah this is new Vince, for cinema where did what's your where did your what's your material where did you get this from yeah but he's also quite like nice to them yeah, I actually I don't mind Vince Vaughn's performance. No, no, in this film, to I be didn't honest. like. I, I hated just, that that whole sequence yeah. of being in the tent and then the drill sergeant thing. And you're like, yeah, it's a war film. Like, I kind of wish there was a button that you could press that was like just skip past this bit because mm. every war film since Full Metal Jacket did it. Yeah, and obviously the Full Metal Jacket one is the one. That, they have the same speech. They have the, that like that Full Metal Jacket where this is my rifle. That speech. Mm. And then this one where like, oh, your rifle is like, yeah. you're your only love of your life is a brawl. It's a exactly. Damn, it's a, exactly. Like, and like yeah, heard this that you. I don't know. I think that the, the scene in Full Metal Jacket with the drill sergeant, yeah, who you know, um, I'm blanking on who the actor was, but he famously improvised all of his lines. Basically, really? yeah, he like ad libbed the whole thing. You know, the whole um, like Private Joker and like all that yeah. sort of stuff. He, he famously kind of ad libbed a lot of that, and that is one of that is a pretty iconic role and performance mm -hmm. in cinema. But ever since then, it feels like every single war film has to have the lineup with the shouty drill sergeant. And I kind of wish there was a button that just skipped you forward 15 minutes later when the film resumes. Yeah. And you don't just go, okay, now let's just watch people crawling through mud or watch them climb over that wall thing. <laughs> you know, you climb the thing and then it can you go over. It can still be done in a... Have you, have you seen Brown and Brothers? Yeah. The first episode of Band of Brothers is, is that. one of my favorite episodes. Of and it's basically just that. And it's, it's just, good. David Truman does a really good, because mm -hmm. David Truman, you're, like, oh, you're actually just an asshole. You're not doing this to like mm. be like, a, you're just an asshole. Yeah. And he, I don't know, that's still, that's, I can watch that and it still feels original, even I though it's it the same story. I think it can be done. I just sort of think that it's such an, it feels like an obligation at this point. And in Hacksaw yeah. Ridge, for example, it feels like they're putting it in because of obligation. Yeah. As opposed to it saying something like Band of Brothers where they go, there's that there is inherent drama in this scene like yes. there is inherent drama in that scenario you've got a bunch of people who don't know each other that are being thrown together to form this kind of instant family yeah you've got people who are being pushed to their absolute limits um and then you've got and the the thing that binds them all together including the drill sergeant is like fear of impending, impending doom yeah exactly yeah. and i think that you can understand why that is a dramatically rich environment yeah. but if you don't have anything to mine from that don't do it because mm. it we've seen it time and time again and like all Haxel Ridge gives us is like a what is trying to be a greatest hits but it's just like a weak uninspired version of the other films we've seen yeah. before it's written poorly it's delivered with very little kind of commitment charisma and it just feels like it's like you just the, the, the movie just literally places itself on those rails for about 10 minutes and goes okay hits all the familiar beats yeah. and then goes let's go to Okinawa also has a the point of it is to introduce all these characters so that later on when yeah. they 
die one by one, yeah, we can feel sad. The only and, one that really works, I suppose, in that sense is Schmitty. Schmitty, the the, 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 the the asshole guy yeah. who then, um, which it kind of works. So the the second half of this film, it basically just becomes a series of conversations of people telling Desmond that he, they got him wrong. Yeah, <laughs> every it's, character it's has wild, to have this moment where, where they got him wrong. Yeah, the only one that works, I think, is me because they, that's the only one they actually ever delve into, and you see their relationship and how antagonistic a, he is. Yeah, and then when he says it, and I think his performance is kind of good, and when he delivers it, you think, yeah, this feels like you know they're 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 in a foxhole, they're dug in for the night, they're by themselves. That feels like the kind of time you'd say that, and it feels yeah. legit. It also is, I think, the first time we really see that sentiment being delivered. We don't, we don't then need to see every other character tell him the same thing. So there's a scene with Vince Vaughn. Yeah. There's a scene with Sam Worthington. Yeah. Sam Worthington's fighting this. Yeah. And Sam Worthington. I don't know. I've only seen it in two things, maybe. This and Avatar. Is there other people? Not, my, not the too many other people that I really know very well. But that's the problem, is they introduce all these people in this most, like formulaic of scenes mm -hmm. and because it's so formulaic you don't remember who they are you know there's a guy there's two people throwing knives i don't know who they are nope there's, some there's people a naked playing. guy you, know, you remember hollywood's a naked guy so there's a naked guy uh because he has a mustache mm -hmm. yeah, and he's quite scared he's an actual and he's like a big bodybuilder type but he actually gets scared when he goes into battle yeah he's the only one yeah he's like really very obviously terrified which is a nice contrast because i'll tell you he wasn't terrified and that's andrew garfield no uh and then they all get time? so muddy that you can't. You can't know who any of them are. And there's one there's a mustache. Vince Vaughn is obviously I know who Vince Vaughn is. Yeah. The rest of them are just. I so I got to the point when I was uh, recognizing them by their guns. Really, I know Vince Vaughn has a like a little submachine gun thing. Submachine gun. I don't know the rest of their guns. To be fair, like a few of them have different weapons. Yeah. And just from years of playing video games, I'm able to identify. <sighs> weaponry like mm. at a glance like almost to a worrying degree okay um so i was just able to tell like oh that's the guy with the bar that guy's got the m1a1 obviously the right yeah. one have the m1 garands or whatever you know like i was just i was literally just sort of recognizing them based on that and going yeah and obviously it's to do with the flamethrower and he's a specific guy with a flamethrower i don't know i think you only see one person with a flamethrower though yeah burning all japanese people yeah uh, yes indeed <laughs> So they get to Okinawa, and as we've talked about, we see lots of intestines and blood and guts yeah. and maggots and I rats. I will and... say, when so when you get to that scene and you see that big net that they mm -hmm. have to climb, and then like that, the one, that's the, a really good shot. Yeah, the, the other thing I actually do quite like there is when you see them walking up the path, and then the company that they're replacing are coming back. Yes. And you see heaps of dead bodies, which is like, yeah cool you yeah. see lots of heaps of dead bodies actually not just one heap i think you see three separate at least two or three trucks, yeah but the what the what works is the people that are still alive yeah and their eyes and they meet the and then they merge the two companies as well don't they yeah in that and the way they look and they're like they just look completely dead behind the eyes and um when they're all standing on the side of the road watching those jeeps go past and like you and they go, that, that's who we're replacing. And it's cutting between these kind of green, fresh yeah. soldiers and the people that have just come back from conflict. That is quite a nice, not a nice moment, but it's quite like cinematic. It's quite terrifying. Moment. It's, it's like, terrifying. Like they look like they have literally stared yeah. evil in the face. And then there's all these people who are clean and ready to go. And maybe until that point, we're quite, quite hurrah about it. And yeah. they go, holy shit, what mm. are we walking into? Yeah. Um, 
So then they and then they meet some of them and they call the Japanese people animals and then they move on. Do they call the Japanese people animals? Yeah. Oh, good. They say they're animals. Okay. Let's talk about the Japanese soldiers. Yeah. So we don't meet. We meet one. One of them is made into a character. Is that right? With zero lines of dialogue. Yeah, he just stabs himself. There are zero lines of dialogue spoken by a Japanese soldier in this film. They are at various points described as animals. They're described as sneaky. Mm. They're described as sneaky Japs. Uh, there is a point where they have to replicate the language that American soldiers would have used in World War II. They definitely do have to do that. But they don't necessarily have to completely strip those human people yeah. of all human characteristics, mm. not give them any form of dialogue, not give them any attention whatsoever and literally just present them as to begin with the hunters that are yeah. just killing all of these people and then the hunted um and kind of revel like reveling in their demise the way the film does yeah there's also i think probably it's done that way to provide just another character point for desmond mm -hmm. when he saves the japanese guy yeah because uh, he and they even say at some point he even he saved a couple saved of saved a couple of Japs. Yeah, um, probably the first and last time I used the word Japs. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, and there's this last scene where when the Japanese are obviously losing, the general has like a really long, drawn out, Christ. probably what like a four minute scene where With he takes slow motion special uh, blade out of a box, and they all kill themselves. Yeah, I am not into that scene no? at all. Because, like, so the first time, the first day when they initially start their attack, mm. it is full speed for a start. It's not slow mo. Yeah. And it is like horrifying. Yes. The score and the way it's shot, everything's horrifying. And the general tide of battle is that the American soldiers are getting their asses handed to them. Yeah. They're dying, they're being cut down. The Japanese are more set in. They're using kind of like clever tactics and they're just massacring yes. a lot of these people. And it is displayed like a massacre, like just this horrific, nightmarish thing. Now, I do understand that when you're making a war film, you're going to usually pick one side. Yeah. If you're making a Western war film, you're going to pick the side of the Allied forces. Um, so I do understand that. Like, But when it comes back to that scene that you're talking about with all the slow-mo and everything, mm -hmm. that part of the film is effectively the end of the conflict where the americans overcome the yeah. university and they kind of gather themselves and then they you know go and go out and kind of are victorious and you see most of the japanese soldiers being killed this time like the american soldiers are advancing yeah. and they're no longer on the defensive and then as you say you see see an underground thing where the general is uh committing seppuku to seppuku is word because it, yeah. he's uh obviously he knows he's defeated yeah but when this scene happens, there's like orchestral, grand, yeah. revelatory, victorious music. Everything's in slow-mo. So you can enjoy every tasty detail of these horrible Japanese soldiers being murdered, which is what like they're still being massacred and yeah. mown down. It doesn't matter that they are Japanese soldiers and that it is essentially a victory. It's a, like war in all aspects is a bittersweet victory because it means that tons and tons of people had to die. Yes. And the, like you say, how slow it is. Like, I honestly, like, there's a part of me sort of thinking, like, does Mel Gibson just sort of, like, keep this on his shelf next to his whacking material, you know? Like, does he just put this scene on, like, just in fucking... It's like he just really wants you to sit with 
watch it, like give you every second just to really yeah. soak up and enjoy it's not, this it's not Japanese character. general killing himself. It represents, well, I guess it represents the Japanese army. Like this, I assume he's a general. Yeah. Or, but we don't, we haven't met him before. He's got no lines. And, and we're supposed to then like... We're supposed to really enjoy this scene. And that's meant cheering. To be... And that's the thing. It's not even like a... Um, yeah, it's not even that like momentous kind of thing. Yeah. The fact that it's like slow motion and mm. just really hanging on it to make sure you... It's almost like they want you to savor it. Yeah. And that's just like... It's fucking gross. Like it is just a kind of disgusting way to shoot that yeah. section of the film, yeah, I, I thought. Like the treatment of... I get that, like I say, it's a war film. You're, you're always going to be biased to one side. Yeah. And the narrative... There probably is a narrative in there somewhere um, more centrist and an examination of that. But this is not that film. Yeah. You do understand that. You are going to take some... You know, you're going to revel in the victory of the Allied forces. But it doesn't need to just be... like. It feels like you're supposed to enjoy it so much. Yeah. That you could also just take that, that it's scene. It's still people dying. It's still shots of people mm. dying. You could take out that scene as an entirety and it would it not need like it's not a story point, it's not a character point. It is just a scene that they would throw in because they wanted to throw it in. Mm -hmm. Like it adds absolutely nothing. There's nothing uh pertinent to the story that happens in there. It's just they wanted to put it in there. No, and when you think about it, it is a scene that should take maybe uh, 30 seconds or a minute yeah, and it takes five or more yeah. because of the, because of the way it's done. Mm -hmm. Just take that out. <laughs> Mel. And then Mel's listening. Um, yeah. Just get rid of it. Um, so in, but basically in between those two scenes is the meat of the film in the sense like this is why the film's made. And I, I, Quite like this bit. This this is compelling, and it's. I would say this well is done, the only section of the film that really works. Yes. Um, okay. We'll get it. We can maybe. Well, this is probably where we're going to get into um, what I think are some religious overtones. Because uh, he's a a Christian. Yeah. Right. But while it maybe goes a little bit hard on that side of things, mm. I do think this is the only the section of the film that I would say is almost an unabashed success. Yes. Him. Especially when everyone's gone down for the night and he stays up and he's crawling around in the dark. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a stealth video game. <laughs> it kind of feels like Sniper Elite or something. Like, it crawl, does feel a bit know? like that, yeah. Um, but it feels like quite terrifying. Exactly. And he's saving all these people mm -hmm. and then bringing them, like, bringing them down. That is... And he pulls back because there's an earlier scene where he makes a bad uh, knot. It looks like a bra. Yeah, and then he uses that as like a winch. Mm. And he hurts his hands. I don't know if you saw that, but... Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I was wondering, like, that reminds me of someone. Yeah, he's got, like, wounds on his hand? I don't yeah. Know. I don't know, maybe. But There's that, I think, does really... It, it works. It's a good yes. sequence. Uh, you do feel... And, and this is where, you know, we kind of touched on earlier, like, this is just a compelling story. Yes. This man did an incredible thing that you want to see and hear about. So this section of the film that gives you that is always going to be, at the very, like, engaging and enjoyable in that sense because you're like, I can't fucking believe this guy saved... 75 people's lives uh and there's, and there's almost no way to without a that. weapon yeah in the middle of world war ii and he came out alive like that's that's just a fucking compelling story and like yes. if you're gonna show me like a cool montage of him sneaking around getting himself into scrapes and saving these people and then obviously they have the section as we spoke about the one japanese character that yeah you'd say saving him you know it, it does put a bit of a cap on it of this guy just wants to save life like he just sees life as worth saving and 
it works well. It's it's like it's put together quite well. You get like it's paced in such a way with them cutting back and forth with him doing the um sorry, I'm I'm acting now, but I, Yep, you're no boogie. See me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as he's passing the rope around yeah. the tree and or the log, whatever it is, and lowering people down. Cuts between that and then you see him go back out and you do just get this sense of him just working himself to the bone. And he's saying every time he gets one, he says, give me one more, Lord, like, Lord, help me get one more. Yeah. He's praying. Which is an actual thing that he said. Supposedly, yeah. according to the documentary footage, that is what he was praying to. Yeah. You know, he just wanted he, his his faith in God, he felt, was helping him every time. And I think what I got from that, I did, like him saying that, was that he, he was going to keep going until either there were no bodies left on the battlefield for him to save or he died. Yeah, absolutely. He and was going to work himself to death because he was like, this is what I'm here to do. If I die doing this, then it would be worth it. And if, if I die trying to get one more, then that one more is worth getting. Yeah. Sorry, not my thing. Uh, and Garfield does a good job here. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, he looks like... He looks does tired. He, does, he looks really tired, which he must like, he's been there for a full day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is where they've condensed the film because apparently it was a few weeks worth of work. Yeah. You I, know, I don't I think he saved 75 people in that. one night, but... I don't even know if they they don't even they don't even say with any def, like any definition that he definitely that there's he saved all of them in one night. He's just saying that this was one particular that he worked really fucking yeah, hard. Yeah, and he I don't know. It's that you see he often has close scrapes with some Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a point the bit that I don't like actually is when he's in in the in the bunker. Bunker. Yeah, I don't really like that. That felt really poetic licensey and just like putting it in just to they felt like Lara Croft to me it felt like yeah they were like yeah splinters out of people going around and splinters yeah and then and he, he hides against hides. the wall yeah yeah that was a bit too much agreed but other than that I think that sequence worked mm-hmm. and and that's a lot of it is because the way that the effects are done I mean a lot of this was done physically and mm-hmm. you know like they actually sculpted the battlefield and they didn't want to Which use works, too much yeah. and it it looks like a proper battlefield and it looks like immersive and everything. And that, that is all working for the film. I would prefer more films did that personally, but yeah, I think there is something about this story that would almost be, if it wasn't a true story, you'd be like, okay, there's a bit too much artistic license. Here. So I read that apparently, um, in real life, he actually gave up the stretcher at the end. Like, you know, they obviously carry him away on a stretcher. Yeah. He actually let another guy take the stretcher. Oh, okay. And, uh, he then eventually had, crawled he got shot by a sniper right which fractured a bone and he crawled 300 yards um along the ground because uh, after being left alone for five hours because i guess all the like every, they were all medics yeah yeah going back and forth there was no one to get to him uh but mel gibson didn't want to put that scene in because he didn't think people would find it believable which is probably one instance of people taking poetic license to actually dampen what yeah. somebody's actions because they were like no that's just not believable despite it being it actually, actually happened, happening yeah. Um, so by all accounts like the guy the guy is a genuine hero like he's yeah. uh, I, I, <clears throat> I see why they made a film about him and I yeah absolutely fully support them making a film about him I just wish this wasn't the film that it was yeah absolutely uh, but that, I think those 20 minutes or so half yeah. an hour I guess it works mm-hmm. and I has agree. a scene with like I said the scene with Smitty which I think is fine quite yeah, good I agree um, what doesn't really work is how then they wait for him to pray the next morning. Yeah, yeah, and all of that shit. And then at the end, when he um he's on the stretcher, and then and then it appears that he's rising to heaven. Hmm. <laughs> like they're lowering down the stretcher, and then they move the camera beneath the stretcher, and then it rises off the top of the screen into this. And it's like, come on, yeah. 
this is kind of my issue. So like, I don't like, I don't love the treatment of the Japanese soldiers in the film. Yeah. I don't like anything to do with the first hour of this film because it's nope. too cheesy. It's too done, way too thick. Yeah. Um, a lot of the wars, it kind of feels like a few films mashed together. It feels like a really kind of sickly Forrest Gumpy type yeah, with, yeah, exactly. thing at the yeah. beginning. And then it feels like the most run of the mill, just bog standard on rails boot camp section in the middle. Yeah. And then it feels like a Mel Gibson epic, intense yes. war film at the end. And they're all just kind of mashed together. And there's not really much of like a smooth transition. It's literally like, okay, we're in Virginia and the color palette's this. And, yeah, then, and yeah. the score is this and it looks like this. Then there's boot camp and it looks like this. It's kind of greeny. You know, it's like you've got lots of yellows and bright colors here. Then it's very green and just army. And it's brown. And then it's brown and gray. Yeah. You know, and like that is, it's just the three films gone, just smash them together. Um, the only one of those films that I actually think has much merit to it at all is that is the final one. Mm -hmm. And then even in that, that is where you get into this like problematic portrayal of certain people. And um, I mean, uh, I guess a lot of the kind of the weaker aspects of the first two films, as you were talking about, like just crappy characters, yeah. means that a lot of the payoff, if you want to call it that at the end, just quote, doesn't quote, yeah. hit. Um, and then there's kind of the overriding thing. The one thing that stitches it all together, which is his faith. Oh, yeah. So there is something that's supposed to stitch all together. Uh, he, so he's a Seventh Day Adventist. There, there is a playback when he is it when he's talking to Sam Worthington or when he's talking to Vince Vaughn or someone when he says it goes the playback where he holds a gun to his dad. Mm -hmm. His dad used to be his mum. Yeah. So or he's, he's talking to Smitty at that point, I think. Yeah. Which is there. I don't know if we need that. No, maybe not. But because I get that he doesn't want to kill people. I don't. Yeah. Um, I get you see that you know you can kind of see that his home life is. Yeah. Great, I suppose. Um, but like, so you've got this Seventh-day Adventism. That's that's fine. There's obviously nothing wrong with him being a Seventh-day Adventist. Everybody else seems to think so. Um, the mm. problem I have with the film is that it seems as though he is portrayed as being the hero because of his faith. Yeah. And everybody else is portrayed as being a piece of shit because they don't share his faith. And I think there's nothing wrong with making a film that celebrates the virtues of a uh, faith-based lifestyle. Agreed, yeah. I am not a person of faith in that sense. Uh, and I believe in you. Well, thanks, babe. Um, but I have absolutely no problem with a film that wants to explore that. And I also do recognize that for a lot of people, it's a huge force for good in their lives. Yeah. But I don't like the fact that this film makes out, it's kind of like a Christian supremacy film, I think. Like, it's not saying, hey, Christianity is, you know, I but like, let's say you want to take it as being from Mel Gibson, which I know is not entirely from Mel Gibson because this is obviously films are yeah. a collaborative project. But let's just say you want to say Mel Gibson is saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I think God's really great. I think believing in God and having faith is a force for good in a lot of people's lives. That's fine. Yeah. But I think if you're then going to go, anyone that doesn't believe in God is a shitty person and this person is better than everybody else because of their faith in God and believing in God makes you better than not believing in God, then I'm going to draw an issue with it. And I think that's what this film does. See, I don't know about that because I I feel like he, he isn't actually, Andrew Garfield doesn't judge anyone or Desmond Doss doesn't judge anyone, I wouldn't say. No, but everybody that doesn't believe, everyone that doesn't share his faith, every, they just ridicule his faith. They're all wrong and they all kind of presented like, shitty people yeah true but they a lot of them are cowards how many of them are cowards well then maybe not all cowards only really one of them's a proper coward 
He's also, he's more terrified than I would be. He's less terrified than I would be in that scenario. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You put me in there and I will be running the other way. Thank but you. I don't know, like, it just kind of seems to me like he is the apps, like, he is so clearly presented as the shining beacon. Of, he's the Messiah, yeah. yeah. He is, and like, I feel, I feel like, obviously, we, talk, we talked about this with Shawshank. I feel like we're just going to have to start every season on a Christ narrative. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I don't have a problem with Christ narratives, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, like the, the story of Jesus Christ is become an archetypal story it is one of the like most influential narratives of all time in western was, civilization because the first one was passion of the christ so that was, my first <laughs> that was it, about. Yeah. yeah uh it is one of the most influential narratives of all time in our like western civilization you're gonna see it remixed yes. and redone and stuff no not not a problem with that i have a bit of a problem with how heavy-handed this version of it is like i say with him wounding his hands and rising yeah. to heaven yeah. and it's just like fucking hell come on like literally you just feel like mel gibson's gonna knock on the door while you're watching this film and just hit you on the face of the bible and leave you know <laughs> But I don't. By the end of the film, every character believes in Desmond Doss. Every character realizes the error of their past ways. Yeah, he teaches them about God because he's Jesus. But what does he teach them? Well, this is just, my this is my problem with the film. Is like no one's changed them. They, they, they don't mind him anymore specifically. No, I guess the, the idea of them like um res- like recognizing his time to pray and everything. You know, it's kind of like, but it's not like he converts. But it's only him. They yeah, don't care, they don't pray with him. They don't care about his beliefs either. They're like, they don't. They're not pacifists. They don't no. believe in pacifism. He doesn't really believe in. Pac- I don't know if he really believes in pacifism. He just doesn't want to hold a mm-hmm. gun because mm-hmm. he once almost killed his dad. Yeah, and like, he feels as though his deal with God basically is like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But he still f- fully supports them doing it, presumably. Yeah, I mean, but I guess that's the thing where it's kind of one of those things where he, he recognize he probably recognizes that you can't, like I say, you can't win a war without that being a thing. Like, sure, everyone tells him that a lot. I, I do kind of agree with you that his pacifism only goes so far, in that sense. You know, yeah. like it doesn't actually really have much reach beyond his. But like, which is fine. But but that is, yeah. I think it's okay. But what, what is Mel Gibson trying to say? What is his point? I think he's. I think he's trying to show how, just how how Christianity is great, and how being true to God and being true to yourself in the face of other people getting you know ridiculing you and trying to oppose you um, can lead to great things, and to not allow other people and their. Uh, hedonistic and heathenistic ways to divert you from your path to righteousness that's what Mel Gibson's trying to say in this film. I think so like that's what I think like it feels so heavy-handed like Christian supremacy to me that it feels like I'm just being preached at like it just feels like a sermon but he doesn't agree with he doesn't agree with Desmond Doss like the point of view of the film isn't that pacifism is good no he definitely seems to like violence but he also does just he just loves God doesn't he he loves God and he hates Jews because Jews killed Jesus. Like, that's what the Passion of the Christ is about, right? Is it, I've not seen Passion of the Christ. That's like the main read that a lot of people had, that there was like a lot of heat from the anti-defamatory. So looking back in hindsight. Defamatory or deflammatory? I can't. Anti-defamatory. Yeah. Defamation, that's the word. That I yeah. Mean. yeah that, that's the root, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that there was a lot of kind of heat around that film when it came out. Yeah. Because, you know, it's basically just a couple hours of Jews whipping Jesus and, you know, being awful and having, mm. you know, like the the shiny eyes and teeth, you know, like the evil Jew that you see in cinema. So in like old Disney films and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Um, It's that kind of thing. But I mean, I'm I'm, I'm just saying this from what I've seen from the the backlash of that film. I've not seen that film. Like I can't say with any certainty, but like, 
I think that is his. This is the other thing. I, 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 it's weird. I mean, I get that Desmond Doss puts so much stock in faith. Like he is his defining characteristic is his religion, mm-hmm. basically. But you kind of think like, Mel, you've already made this film, mate. Like you've made a film called The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, it's about the death of Jesus. Like, do you really like? Do you really need to be going at it this hard now? Yeah, I agree. that seems like the overarching thing of his filmography is God. Christ narratives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't mind that. But this film doesn't, it's not preaching at us because nobody in the film agrees with him. The film itself doesn't come from... Nobody in the film agrees with him, but they're all proven wrong. Yeah, but the film doesn't, still revels in war. It still is not, it's not a pacifistic film. No, it's inconsistent in that sense. I think maybe the argument there being that it's not necessarily specifically about Desmond's view on violence. It is Desmond's view on his his role uh, mm. as a child of God, right? So he recognizes that for him, he cannot kill anybody else. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to follow that path, but just that everybody should follow their own path. And I think the other characters are trying to divert him and say, no, you should fall in line. Your views are silly. Um, God doesn't love you. They, they use the word silly a lot. Uh, and I and like him staying, love you. him staying true to that, I think is this thing of, that's maybe what the film's trying to get at. It's about keeping the faith. Right, okay. I think the working title was Keeping the Faith, but that, I think that was taken. I think the working title was Passion of the Christ 2. The passion is, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Fine, I don't. I think it was actually uh, Yadoskan. <laughs> <laughs> Yadoskan. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I kind of, I, I see. I think you've got a valid criticism. I don't think it's very consistent in that sense. But to me, I think I just felt like I was being preached at just from ignoring the actual view, the depiction or the view on whether violence or pacifism is the right way or the wrong yeah. way. When you purely look at it in terms of Desmond is um, hailed in the film as being a like a messiah because he his uh, faith in God is unwavering, right? Like yeah. he is proven to be right and the good character and everyone who doubted him is kind of positioned as being wrong and they have to kind of eat their humble pie and everything. And because he's proven that actually unwavering faith in God will always prevail. And like, I can That's imagine the message I got from the film. The actual person being like a forceful enough character mm-hmm. to change your perception i can yeah. see that as an actual human being that he was mm-hmm. being sort of changed by his presence but i just i don't think this film knows what it's trying to do at all i don't maybe maybe it's trying to say stick to your guns when it comes i to think faith. it's trying to maybe do that it, it does it almost too heavy-handedly but then it is also trying to be to revel so much in the violence yeah, think, that yeah. it undercuts its own message. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that it's so, so many, it's all just so formulaic. It's like so cheesy to begin with. And then like, this is what I mean. Like Mel Gibson is like the, probably one of the least subtle filmmakers I've, I've ever seen, mm-hmm. you know, like he, his, the first half of the film is so cheesy and it's so apple pie. And yeah. It's all, and then the second half of the film is so visceral and so intense and so gritty and so over the top. I mean, like there's no, like, He's literally just bringing a sledgehammer to everything, you know? Like, he's got no lightness of touch with any of this shit. He's either like, we're making this and it's going to be fucking intense and horrible. We're going to be making this and it's going to be in your face and, yeah. smart and like gross. 
I have no issue with a lack of subtlety. Okay, I have some issues with lack of subtlety. I think there are filmmakers who make great films without subtlety. Without you. Like we spoke last time about Natural Born Killers. Yeah. Which is not a subtle no. film. No, I mean, even Pulp Fiction, I wouldn't yeah. say is particularly subtle. Like Tarantino, you wouldn't say it's particularly subtle. No, but, but he, it gets the job done. And, and there is engaging. nuance. Mm-hmm. You can you can have nuance without subtlety. Yes. And this doesn't have any nuance. No. Or subtlety. So it's a no from me. I can see that probably if you were like a Seventh day Adventist or just a, a devout Christian in general, mm. that this film would just feel like a huge win. Though. Imagine sitting in the cinema and seeing a film in which your faith is just being championed as saving all of these people and just being this just unabashed force for good. I can see why people would be, you know, convinced yeah. by that. But for everybody else, I'm sort of thinking like, why are you? I'm not necessarily saying to say that you have to agree with the film's message in order to receive value in it. Yeah. But I would say that if you do agree with the message of a film, you can allow yourself to be pandered to. Like a fairly weak film that reinforces all of your own uh, biases you're going to enjoy. And a weak film that doesn't reinforce your bias, you might recognize as weak. I think if you're either opposed to that, uh, I don't know why you'd necessarily be opposed to people being religious, but I think some people probably are. Or if you're kind of a neutral, Mm. I can't see why you're watching this and being like, oh yeah, no, it's powerful and great. It's just like, not. (laughs) No, I agree, it isn't. It's compelling. And that's there about... are parts of it that are compelling, but there are also parts of it that are almost oh, anti-compelling. True. The first hour of the film is like minus compelling. <laughs> but the like the, the thirty minutes where he's saving everyone's life. I was compelled to turn it off. I guess I, that's yeah. like if this if you were in this podcast, I would have switched it off. A hundred percent. Yeah. After the first hour, I think I'd have skipped forward. No, I'd have just turned it off. I don't have the patience with stuff. With sitting there and watching that first hour of Hugo Weaving and Andrew Garfield. But like, I think if I was in that situation, knowing that it was a war film, I'd be like, right, let me just have a look at what get what happens when they get to the battle. You skipped an hour, like one hour. First thing you'd through. be skipping forward, you know, because the fucking when you do it on the like Amazon or whatever, it takes ten, and you're like, do they ever go to war? Six hundred button clicks later. Yeah, I don't. Know. I've, I don't have much else to say about this. It's just, I just not gonna watch it again. No, I mean I've already seen it twice, but I only watched, I only rewatched it because we were doing this. Yeah. I wouldn't have watched it again otherwise. Um, this is the first one that we've watched that I've just disliked, plain disliked. Yeah, I didn't like Forrest Gump, but I actually hate this film. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I w- I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. I nope, don't think. Don't watch. Um, it. Don't don't bother. Cool. Um. I think we're pretty much done, aren't we? We can just play a game and go home. Let's do it. So we're playing Famous Last Words. Uh, this, is the, this is the game where we each give each other two films to guess based on the last line of the film. Uh, if you yeah. can't get it based on that, you get up to another four clues. Every time you need a new clue, you get one fewer points. Maximum of five points, plus the potential for an extra bonus point with a bit, uh, bit of trivia. Yeah. Uh, if you need all five clues... You get one point. Yeah. So it's new season. Oh, we start again. New season, new scoreboard. Uh, it's currently I one. I won flying colors last time. It's one zero to yours truly from the first season. You just um, can write that down. No, I'm going to put a scoreboard because I always forget, don't I? And then we. You do, but you look like you're coming to the end of that book. Yeah, I am. I'll have to get a new book. Mm. Um. So do you know what we need right now to see who goes first? A chance, chance cube. cube. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to flip this bottle. Cube. Top. So you want, I'll be foil. I'm happy want, to be foil. Do you want blonde or? I'll be blonde. Or blonde on blonde, not blonde. You want blonde. Yeah. It's blonde. Yeah. 
I don't know why I'm saying it makes no difference. No, it doesn't. Uh, so you go first, which means that I guess that you guess first would be. The oh, I see. Okay. Oh, well, no, you get to choose, I suppose, because oh, you won. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my thing out because I'm ready to read. Okay. <laughs> I was elected to lead, <laughs> not, not to, to read. read. Okay. Uh, what have we done to each other? What will we do? Oh, that's the end of the question. Yeah. Look at you, but you're going to read more. No, no, no. What have we done to each other? What will we do? Uh, is that Gone Girl? It's Gone Girl. Wow. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah, it's that. She looks at him all creepy and it like, so it's like it, bookends the film, doesn't so it? This is the first and last line is the same. Yeah. So he yeah. uh, look, likes looking at the back of her skull. He wants to split it open and see what the answers yeah. are inside. What a good film. It's, oh yeah, it's good. It's really good. Yeah, I like it. It's really good. It's like top five. Anyway. Top five Fincher films. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, which is a good list. Yeah, he's got what ten films or something. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, do you, oh, bonus do you, question. Well, yeah. What are your what, what are your other clues going to be? You must uh, based on a book. Okay. Some alliteration going on in the title. <laughs> 2014, and then David Fincher. Okay. Who wrote the book and the screenplay? Gillian Flynn. Gillian. Yes. Wow. I never really know if it's Gillian or Gillian. I assume Gillian because it's. Uh, if you get it, what? Which one are you going to go for? But do you know absolutely? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. What are you going to go for? Gillian. Ah, uh, it's Gillian. I'm afraid. <laughs> I think it's Gillian Flynn. The book's all right, actually. Uh, yeah, the book is. It's one of those films. David Fincher likes me. It's this kind of like word for word, the dialogue. He's, and... he's good. He's a good at adapting yeah. novels. I think. Um, I recently read and watched Sharp Objects, which was Gillian Flynn's debut. Is that Amy Adams? Yeah. So HBO yeah. did a limited uh, did a miniseries on it. Okay. Uh, is it good? For, yeah, it's okay. I think I actually prefer the show to the book. Right. Um, I actually think I probably prefer Gone Girl to the book as well, the film yeah, the book as well, actually. Um, that's not to say that Gillian Flynn's not a good writer. I, I'm not, I don't read a lot of crime. Yeah. Uh, but I quite like to watch crime. So it just fits the way I like that kind of noiry, crimey sort of thing. I, I prefer to watch than read. Um, Do you watch Girl on a Train? Yeah, I really hate that. The book really is, the book like is quite that. good. Yeah. The it's the Emily Blunt one. I usually love terrible, Emily Blunt, yeah. but I thought that film sucked. She was quite good. Yeah, she's, she, they I mean, made she's her always, look not. She's always good. But they made her look quite unattractive, mm. which I was sort of when impressed by. Blunt, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, Didn't yeah, they were gonna uh, yeah. I, I'm not inclined to read the books. I thought the film was so bad, but I'll maybe give it a go if it's. Uh, it's better. one of those books where if you know the twist, maybe it's not worth it. I could honestly barely remember it because I just the like the it. film. I just thought it was. Yeah. Boring AF. Yeah. Um, no, Sharp Objects, I, I think Gone Girl's a good read. Sharp Objects had some other some stuff in there that just kind of annoyed me a little bit. And right. uh, some of that was alleviated a little bit by the show. Um, I won't say too much in case people want to watch it because it's quite a recent show. And I would recommend at least seeking it out. I mean, like HBO is always the at least passable. High production know. values, yeah. Uh, Amy Adams is good, presumably. Of course. Yeah. yeah I mean... Um, but there's some stuff in the book that I have a bit of an issue with in terms of some of the ages of some of the characters being very young. Right. And some of the stuff that happens to them and the things that they do and say being hugely off-putting for me. Right, okay. But that character is aged up a couple of years for the show. Sensibly. And it's, but it's like 13 to 15. So it's that, like a pretty big difference. Yes. You know, yeah. like if you're talking about, it kind of gets into some pretty, it's like kind of dark and gritty. So there's like sort of sex, drugs, that yeah. kind of stuff being explored. The idea of that being explored through the lens of a 15-year-old feels quite different yes. to a 13-year-old, in my opinion. So that was a bit of a sticking point for me with the book. Uh, okay, so my first film. There's a character name in here, but I'm going to leave that out. Okay. 
you're not an asshole. You're just trying so hard to be. Oh, fuck, I knew that. Oh, he knows it. His glasses it? are on his forehead. His fingers are in his eyes. <laughs> he pushes his fingers into his eyes. It's the only thing that slowly stops the ache. You're not an asshole. You're just trying hard to be. You're not an asshole. That's where the character name yeah. is. You're not an asshole. You're just trying so hard to be. I'm going to need another clue. This is a film that features an actor playing dual roles. Probably not as helpful a clue as you wanted. You want to prepare your shins, by the way, because you're going to be kicking yourself. I know. I know this. So dual roles. So same actor playing two roles. So it is. Is it like famously playing two roles? Like not uh, like legend level playing two roles? Um, I don't know if I'd say quite that. I don't know right. if it's like Nicolas Cage in adaptation or Lindsay Lohan and Parent Trap kind of legend status. Right, okay. <laughs> Those are both legend status, are they? <laughs> well, what would you say is legend status for... Legend. Say... <laughs> Obviously. Legend, the whole thing of that film was like, <laughs> are you like Tom Hardy? Sorry, I completely misheard what you said. Like, I didn't realize you meant legend is in the title of a film. I thought you meant like a legendary is in like literally, it's just like a myth at this point. But like adaptation is one of the big ones that comes to mind for me for dual roles. Right, okay. Uh, Nick Cage, that. But yeah, you're right, Tom Hardy playing two. No, no, it's not like the appeal of the film is. Don't know that. I think, honestly, I think the last line is more of a you're not an clear clue. You know what asshole. it is. Just trying You're hard. just trying so hard to be. I'm gonna that face you're pulling doesn't make any sound. <laughs> Is it good? I'm gonna, I might start taking. We should video this section and then just put it up on Twitter. It's just gonna be me, look, you looking all smug, and then me looking sad. Yeah, what's gonna look like? Oh. Uh. Yeah, another clue. I think. At and the Oscar pod. Uh, clue three. It's a film that's inspired by true events. So it's real events. There's an actor playing dual roles. You're not an asshole. You're just trying so hard to be. Oh, I know what this is. He's yet to make a single guess. <laughs> the audience is starting to doubt whether he really does know what this is. <laughs> uh, I'm going to know. When you tell me the answer, I'm going to know it. <laughs> yeah yeah i reckon so i'm gonna need another clue uh, fuck this film like mm -hmm. Haxel ridge also stars andrew garfield really that was not what i was expecting that's thrown you off yeah it has a bit i'd say this is other than the amazing spider-man this is probably the silence I, I, obviously it's not silence because I've not seen silence I've seen whatever film we're talking about here mm -hmm. Andrew Garfield is in this silence Axel Ridge <laughs> Spider-Man and mm. what was the first thing you remember really seeing Andrew Garfield in did you say uh, Amazing Spider-Man I'd say okay. I don't think I knew who it was before that okay <clears throat> do you want the final clip I do for one point it's the tagline right and it's going to give it to you and you're going to get really annoyed because it's an easy tagline. Yeah. All right? Okay. You don't get to 500 million friends without making a few Oh, enemies. for fuck's sake. <laughs> yes, the social network. It is. The social network, although I think they should have called it social network, drop the verse cleaner. 
That's the worst <laughs> pun. I get points for you having made that pun. <laughs> you get seven points for that. <laughs> Just as compensation for having to listen to yeah, you say, absolutely. drop the third. It's Clean Air Social Network. Should have been the name of the film. Another Fincher. That was how I thought you were going to get it because you gave, you gave me a Fincher. I did, yeah. But no, I'd didn't. say this Fincher is better than that Fincher. Social Network is better than the two of them. Yeah. So that's one point there. There's a bonus Fuck cue. Yeah. Um, okay, I actually had a bonus question written for this and then I decided it was just too difficult. Okay. But I'm going to just ask it to you now anyway because it's kind of a bit, a bit of interesting trivia. There's mm-hmm. a quote in the film. I'm going to get the specifics a little bit wrong here because I can't yeah. remember. But um, at some point, they're talking in one of the depositions and it says about how Facebook had made Mark Zuckerberg the biggest thing on a campus that included 15 Nobel laureates, 10 Pulitzer Prize winners, mm. uh, two future Olympians and a movie star. And then the, one of the characters, who's the movie star? And it's like, who, does it matter? Do you know who that movie star is that they're referring to? Is it Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> no. Okay. There's not that on the nose. No, it's right. Na- Natalie Portman. Uh, okay. Yeah, Natalie yeah. Portman was at Harvard with Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, apparently she had David, I think I want to say David Fincher, over to her house at some point uh, for like a dinner party so that he could talk to a bunch of... Uh, proper harvard grads okay. about what it was like to be on the harvard uh, harvard well, campus while facebook was taken off and everything. Uh, the facebook yeah, yeah that's it yeah the facebook okay so the actual bonus uh, you probably agree that's too hard right? yeah yeah but like i knew that that's what went to harvard but exactly but, yeah. that's what i thought but i was like i don't know if is that the kind of information that you're just always thinking about yeah how often do you think about the fact that, that almost <laughs> never I think about it m- almost all of the time. So, <laughs> so between us. So between us, yeah, we've kind of got it covered. Um, okay, so your actual bonus cue. As you know, the Winklevoss twins, or the Winklevi, as I referred to in the film, <laughs> are suing Mark Zuckerberg uh, for stealing their idea. Yeah. What is the name of the social network created by the Winklevoss twins? Like Friendscape or something? Or is that an actual... No. I think it might be an actual social... Harvard Connection Harvard. is the name. It's later been renamed to Connect You, but in the film it's referred to as Harvard Connection. Oh, of course. Friendscape might have been an actual like early Probably, social network. Yeah, no, I think you might be thinking of RuneScape. I'm almost always thinking of RuneScape, but I think this time I'm not. <laughs> the only time I'm not thinking of RuneScape is when I'm thinking <laughs> about Natalie Portman, being, Natalie Portman being at Harvard. I bet she played Runes when she was there. Oh, she was a big... Yeah, because that's the big crossover for you is that they both... So that's six, exist in the same six months so far. Yeah, yeah. The last line of this film. Yeah. This might just be my masterpiece. Oh, fuck, I know this. Um This might just be my masterpiece. Fuck's sake. I'm triumphant because I love to be on the other side of this. Love it. It is Inglorious Bastards. Ah, <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Brad Pitt says it, right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so one of my clues is going to be it's the first time an uh, actor won an Oscar portrayed by, directed by this person. Oh. What was the first Tarantino directed person to win an Oscar? Is that the bonus cue? No. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna, that's, oh, Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And then you, you want another one next time to carry to your direction. For some reason. For Django? Yeah. Why? Like, right, his performance in Django is great. And if Django came out without Inglourious Bastards ever being made, I'd give him the Oscar. Like, he's, he's playing the same, the same character. Yeah. Uh, can you name four His char- real Oscar should come for Alita Battle Angel. Okay, I don't know. Have you not seen Alita no, Battle not, Angel no. yet? 
You've got to see Alita. It is mint. Those eyes, big. They're big eyes? Big. She's got she's huge like a, eyes. Is she a robot? Yeah, kind of. Right. Can it's you name four characters from Inglorious Bastards? Adolf Hitler. Not taking that as a character. Why? Because it's not a character. In that case, I seriously doubt I could name even one. Really? You don't know... Uh, so there's one everyone's heard of. Everyone's heard of this person. Everyone in the German army has heard of this person. Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> Everyone in the German army has heard of Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> right, yeah. You, you, so you're giving up on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to concede. Shoshana. Okay. This is line where he says, Au revoir, Shoshana. I've seen this film once. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Like a long old, like a long time ago. When did it come out? 2008? 2009. 2009. I, must, I reckon I saw, I didn't see this when it came out in cinemas. We reckon, weren't old enough. Enough. I reckon I saw it in 2010 or 11. Right. And I haven't seen it since. Uh, Which is weird because I still make, I still put it probably in my like top three Tarantinos. It might be my favorite Tarantino. But I, I see it quite a lot. It's on Netflix. It's worth it. I also watch, watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hans Lander. Donnie Donowitz. Bridget von Hammersmark. These, yeah, they I mean they ring bells because I've obviously heard them before. But well, one in the German army of Hugo Stiglitz. That one I should have remembered. Yeah, that is the one that I remember the most. But no, okay. not, All right, not five, for me that five points. Not for me that bonus cue. So he says that line as he carves the swastika into Christoph Waltz's face. Right. Okay. <clears throat> there we go. The final film for today's game. Oh, oh, what is it? What is it? Wow, a puppy. Oh, oh, what is it? What is it? Wow, a puppy. 101 Dalmatians? No. Clue number one. The first lines of this film are, quote, All right, everyone, this is a stick up. Don't anybody move. Now empty that safe. End quote. It's a heist film. Film start. It, it's not Baby Driver. I'm trying to think of films that start with a bank robbery. Why are you hiding your face? <laughs> What's going on? I was just making a funny face at you. Okay. No. Well, this doesn't work if you're hiding your face. No, I was going to reveal it. Oh, okay. But you ruined it by asking me why I was hiding my face. Let's see. No, that was it's not that funny. No, it's a bit much though. <laughs> uh starts with a bank robbery. I didn't say that. With a puppy. Okay, well it starts with some kind of heist. Shortly. Oh, oh, what is it? What is it? Wow, a puppy. I feel like that's a child saying that. I don't know. Okay, clue number two. This was the highest grossing film of 1995. Fuck. Highest grossing film of 1995. Yeah. And it is... <laughs> Liar Liar? No. I think Liar Liar was 96. Was it? Yeah, maybe 97. Okay, next clue. This is where it's going to, this is where, if you haven't got it now, it's going to take a left turn for you. It's the first animated film to be nominated for a screenplay Oscar. 
Is it Toy Story? Yeah, it's oh. Toy Story. Yeah, of course. That's the, I was going to do that last week or another <laughs> week. I've got, I had that line written down. Because he gets the puppy for Christmas. Yeah. But it opens with Andy playing with one-eyed Bart, you know, like the character that he has of Potato Head. I legitimately had the line, what is it, what is it, while a puppy written down here and crossed out for like two weeks ago. <laughs> and you just, I, I you probably forgot, you forgot to bring your notes with you probably. Mm. And then you did, you changed the film. No, I think maybe, I can't remember why I didn't, I just didn't use it for some reason. Uh, and then the final clue was going to be the first fully CG animated film, the film was Toy Story. Bonus cue. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bonus cue. Bonus cue. For one bonus point. You're not doing any funny fate. I'm expecting some funny fate. You got two points for that. Yeah. Can you bump it to three? I can. What does Buzz think his name is after Sid's sister plays with him? Uh, no, no, Jorge. No, no, no. Come on. You can, you can, you can work this one out. If you can get closer than that at the very least. I'm not taking that as an answer. Sid's sister. He breaks his, he breaks his arm off. Yeah. And then he, she puts him in the, and she like serves him tea and she like makes him join yeah, the yeah. tea party oh uh, okay so it was a girl's name is it I want to say Wendy no it's Mrs. Nesbitt <laughs> <laughs> that's funny okay so that's uh, an extra two points for you there so that means it's 11 to 3 for the first week mm. going into next week I found that film genuinely terrifying what? Oh, uh, the mutated like the the, fucking spider baby thing. Yeah. Oh god. That, yeah. That, and the, the, the little under the, the hooker legs. Yeah. Mm. It was that creeped me out as well. Not a fan. Uh, okay, so that was our episode on Hacksaw Ridge. I think it's probably safe to say two thumbs down on that one. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, yeah. Bad film. I'd say two thumbs up on Toy Story. Yeah. Can we just do Toy Story every <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. Um. So yeah, that's that's that. Um. It got nominated. For an Oscar, it got nominated for six Oscars. Actually. Andrew Garfield, presumably. Andrew Garfield, I think, directing. Um, yeah. Best picture. It won for editing and sound, which I think is totally fine. Editing I think it is fine, well yeah. edited. It sounds good. Uh, I don't have the other one written. As long as it's not screenplay. Um, why do you think this gets nominated for best picture? So I'm, I'm getting, people do really like it. People do like people it. like a war. War films tend to do well it at Oscars. It is Oscar-y. It's yes. a biopic. Yeah. It's um. Very pro-America. Yeah. It's well-edited, and that is always... Do you think it's anything to do with the fact that it's a return from... Mel Gibson, like a... Yeah. Just, like uh, a big, just don't worry about that last stuff from before. A big star, you know? I hope like not. It's a comeback thing. Do you think that plays into it? Almost certainly it. Maybe. With some people. I'm not happy about that, but... No. Um, I would say it does not deserve to be nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it does anything with the medium that hasn't been done better elsewhere. Agreed, yeah. Uh, so next week is going to be a new film for me and I believe a new film for you uh, it's Fences yes Denzel Washington Fences. is it his de- directorial debut yes yeah, I believe so I know he directed yeah I don't think he did anything before that so Denzel Washington directorial debut Fences uh, join us in two weeks where we're going to be talking about that yep uh, make sure to give us a rating on iTunes you can follow us on Twitter and the Oscar pod uh, thank you to White and Black for our theme music. Thank you to me for arranging the theme song. <laughs> okay, a big thanks to you. <laughs> thank you to Joel for being here. As always. And for packing his bags pre-flight. And uh, thank you... Uh, for listening. God for helping Whoa, Desmond okay. Doss save all of those... That went in a different direction soldiers. than I was expecting. <laughs>
Uh, yes, and we will see you again in two weeks for Fences. Yeah. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So here are the nominees for Best Picture. Now that's a proper introduction. Name is Chiron. People call me Little. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life, too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? You know, you talk like we ain't gonna get away with this. I've never met nobody got away with anything, ever. The Academy Award. For best picture. <laughs>